Welcome to Culture Crossings, a podcast for globally mobile millennials with cross-cultural identities. We share stories about our identity, wellness, and career development for young professionals on the move. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Asuka. For season two, we are curating a series of interviews with other globally mobile millennials on how they are navigating their careers around the world. For this episode, we have a longtime friend of mine, Ivy Wang. We've known each other since high school, and she was one of the top students in our school, excelling in the sciences. She would always help me with my math homework while I helped her with her essays. So it wasn't a surprise when she got into one of Canada's top engineering schools and followed that up with a master's in some of Europe's top business management and cosmetics formulation schools. Currently, she works in a very niche industry, perfumery. Combining her business knowledge with her technical expertise, she develops new fragrances for clients and researches and analyzes new market trends. We'll learn more about how she got into this exciting industry as she traveled across the world to land where she is now. Welcome, Ivy. Hello. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Azuka. So tell us a little bit about your background. What kind of places have you lived in? Um, So I lived, uh, so I'm Taiwanese by birth. Then I moved to Canada uh, when I was around 11 years old. And in Canada, that's where I finished most of my um, education uh, up to bachelor degree. So I did my uh, bachelor's in uh, chemical engineering in Toronto. And then after that, I moved to France uh, to study in this uh, uh, European fragrance uh, management uh, dual degree. So where the first year is more on the master's of science. And I did that in France, in Paris. And the second year, we moved to Italy um, near Venice uh, in a small town called uh, Padova. And that's where we studied more uh, marketing and management-related topics on uh, this perfumery and cosmetics uh, industries. Then uh, I moved to Netherlands, where I did my um, internship. So uh, that's where I joined my first company, uh, IFF, International uh, Fragrance and Flavors. And uh, that's where I spent almost a year there. Then uh, by moving back to Asia uh, by choice, I moved to Shanghai. And that's where I joined my current company, Jibudong. And that's where I lived for about three years. And after that, they relocated me to Singapore. That's where I'm currently residing and has been for the last seven years. Wow, that's uh, a kind of a whirlwind. And I'm just curious because I know, you know, you said you immigrated to Canada, right? Um, And you immigrated um, at a pretty young age. Do you think moving at such a young age kind of impacted your decision on like eventually um, moving around a lot as an adult? Um, actually, I never planned on living in so many places. Um, moving at such a young age, actually, uh, because it forced me to break my ties from my old friends and um, some relatives, which I uh, don't see so often after that. 
um, made me want to treasure friendships more and want to hold on to all of them. So actually uh, leaving Canada, that step was a huge step for me because moving from Taiwan to Canada was a decision made by my parents, but leaving Canada was a decision made by me. So I would say that uh, I didn't see it coming and I thought I was coming back to Canada. But after that, uh, life just had its course and I just followed the flow. And that's where I end up here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, being a mobile person, going for one opportunity means sometimes you have to say goodbye to some people. And it's yeah, um, I'm really interested in um, your career choices. As Phoebe mentioned in the introduction, at least for both of us, perfumery is a very um, new niche field. And I'm wondering what sort of got you into the field and where that sort of blending of your background in engineering and management and all that came from. I would have to thank two Wonder Women in my life. So first... Uh, she's my grandmother so she was a chef and um, I said was because she's no longer with us and uh, I grew up with her so she took care of me when I was younger and uh, I would sit in her kitchen uh, and watch her cook um, and that's where she exposed me to um, smelling spices and, and raw materials at its uh, the natural state so when she's chopping clove for example she would uh, hand it over to me and I'll remember what clove smells like and nutmeg and and have to differentiate uh, it from like cinnamon and all the all the spices from the same family and little did I know that that came in uh, handy when I uh, started in the perfume uh, industry uh, because in the perfume industry you have seven major families you have the floral you have the fruity you have the greens and in each family there are at least more than a hundred different raw materials so they all belong to this family but we have to remember them uh, and be able to categorize them so uh, i would have to thank her a lot because she trained me at a young age and that's how when i started to develop uh, some interest in smelling because I think everyone of course everyone can smell but that it, be able to communicate what you're smelling to words and also to transfer that into olfactive memory I think that's uh, what differentiate me from just normal uh, people who love to smell so that's the first Wonder Woman in my life and the second Wonder Woman, uh, she's my aunt. Uh, she worked in uh, LVMH uh, when I was growing up. Now she's retired. So working at LVMH, meaning that she um, has a lot of access to the perfumes and the cosmetics. Sorry, just for those who don't know, LVMH is what? Louis Vuitton? Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. So that's the company, the, the world's largest uh, luxury company. Uh, they own uh, Dior, Prada, and, and uh, all these brands. And uh, so she would bring home perfumes. And sometimes they are in the sample size. So she would keep the original bottle and I, I keep the sample size. And she would sometimes test me 
uh, like, oh, uh, guess what I'm wearing today? And uh, because I see her almost every day, that's like a test every day before going to school. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I will always get it right. So she thought I have a talent in uh, perfume. So she tried to get me into to do like a, a summer internship with her at some stage. But she is a uh, buyer. So she works in logistic. So uh, when I interned with her, I didn't really enjoy my time there because uh, logistics and and planning is not really my forte. And I will always sneak into the stockroom to, to smell fragrances and play with cosmetics. So later I, I was a bit disappointed because I thought, you know, entering LVMH, that's like the ultimate goal. But I didn't really enjoy what, what I was doing. So I really want to dig deeper. So that's when I started to, to, to search online, like what, like who made the fragrances and who made the cosmetics. So then I discovered that it's not actually uh, Mr. Christian Dior who uh, made the fragrances in his lab. It's he actually commissioned um, fragrance companies to to make these for them. And I researched who are the fragrance companies and uh, the three biggest one jumped out uh, uh, from Google search. So they are Givaudan, Ferminish and IFF. So then I look into how to get into these companies and that led me to uh, the school in France. So that's how I decided to apply for that school when I finished my bachelor degree in Canada. That's really wonderful memories of like families and how your interests sort of emerged from there. And am I understanding correct that you're, you're a perfumer, like you're basically working at the lab as well to actually work with chemicals and make the fragrance itself? My role is actually uh, how we call a scent designer. So um, I'm not a perfumer. So uh, perfumer is the one who actually um, think of the formula and then they, they write it down or now it's more entering into Excel's. And uh, the lab, uh, we actually have um, technicians who would compound those fragrances for the perfumers to smell. So my job is more client facing. So I would, before COVID, I would fly to see my customers and they would tell me that um, for the next season, they would like fragrances that would reflect the next Pentone, for example. So in 2020 was Coral. And I actually had a brief from my customer in Philippines and they were asking for the next Coral fragrances so uh, my role is to interpret that uh, in the context of the Philippines and in the context of their target consumers who were Gen Z's and um, and combining all of that and I asked the perfumer what to do so um, so my job uh, is to understand what each market what they are looking for and and the ideas to communicate that to the perfumers and together we develop fragrances and then uh, I will bring the fragrances to see the customers at the end. Wow that's really creative it's like both analytical and then also creative and yeah that's so cool that you get to bridge that. 
So the first step is basically from you, right? Because you're the one who kind of gets the information from the clients and then you coordinate with the perfumers and the technicians on, you know, how to develop that fragrance. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting because I remember, you know, sometimes when we're hanging out and then we'd be just walking down the street and then you'd suddenly say, oh, you know, I can't stand here. There's, there's a bad smell. And I'm like, I don't smell anything. (laughs) So it's a, so it's a really, um, you know, specialized skill. And I remember you were also telling me a little bit about when you were doing your training in grad school. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Because I know you kind of had to smell a bunch of scents as well, right? During your grad school. Yeah. um, So the first year where I spent it in France, uh, that's where learning of all the raw materials uh, was taking place. And so every day we would smell at least 30 uh, raw materials. So that means smelling in the citrus family, we have grapefruit, mandarin, yuzu, pomelo, lemon, lime, lemon from different regions, lime from different regions. And our task every day is to smell them and write down how we would describe them. Because later on, we will have exams where uh, we were given uh, a strips that's dipped with the essential oils and we have to, we have to answer what it is. So I think that, um, yes, of course I know what mandarin uh, smells like and what lemon smells like. But when you have them on the strip where you don't have the actual fruit in front of you and, and you have 10 of them, Uh, they start to become very close to each other. So the key is to have those descriptors and those descriptors are so personal to each one of us. Um, If you compare the notes of the 20 students that were in this class, they will all be different because lime can be more green for me, but can be uh, smelling like a gasoline for, for someone else. And we would have to remember our descriptor. So when we smell the, the, on the test, uh, we have to find the descriptors that match what we are smelling and write down our answers. So this is just for the citrus family, but of course there are the florals, which gets more complicated because how would you describe a rose differentiating from a jasmine and jasmine differentiating from a tuberose, a ilong ilong, and it gets more and more difficult when we enter uh, the woods family. So you have the sandalwood, you have the cedar wood, then you have a different kinds of wood where on the normal day, you would think that they are all woods, they all smell the same, but <laughs> um, that's when uh, studying and, and, and repetition uh, was uh, a key stage at this, this stage of the course, it's to memorize them and to um, to really store them in the database in your brain so that in the future, going back to the same example, working on the coral fragrance, I would ask the perfumer to add more citrus because a particular citrus brings a little bit of tart and sweetness that would enhance the freshness that is beneficial for the customers in the Philippines. That's mm. so great that you need to know both the fragrances and also the cultural preferences or trends 
in the client that you're looking for. And I'm really curious to know um, to maintain your very acute sensory abilities. Is there something that you intentionally care for or uh, in like health wise or, you know, routine wise? Because at UBC, there was a wine tasting course and I love taking that with my friend and we had that raw sensory exams and all of that and I realized how much you actually need to take care of your body during that time too. Um, I don't really take care of my nose. I mean I can still smell when I get sick so I think right now the most important thing is not to get COVID because one of the symptoms mm -hmm. from COVID is that you lose your sense of smell and taste. Yes. Um, so that's a joke uh, within our industry is that uh, we, we don't care about our, our lives, but if we get COVID, we lose our jobs. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I am super sensitive. So even when I have a stuffy nose, I can still work. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that would, that's not a big issue for me. And so because you're in a niche field, um, did you have much of a choice in choosing where you wanted to live? Um, not really, because all the fragrance, we call it creative centers. So basically, they are headquarters in each uh, region. So because it's fragrance and because it's linked to all the glamour and all the brands, uh, we are actually situated right next to our customers. And our customers are in Paris, are in New York, are in uh, Tokyo, Shanghai, Singapore. Dubai. So um, I would say if there is a restriction, it would be the number of choices because we have just these centers. But with the selection of Paris and New York and Tokyo, like I, I don't see myself being restricted on where I want to live. It's more on the type of customers. Uh, so for example, I choose to live in Asia. And so therefore, the type of customers I face are more concerning the North Asia and Southeast Asia companies. So they are a bit different than if I choose to, if I were to choose to live in Paris, where I get to work more with brands like L'Oreal and, and LVMH. Because mm -hmm. earlier you mentioned that, you know, because of your earlier experience as a really young immigrant, that you treasure the bonds that you have with friends and family more and that you actually wanted to stay in Canada. So I'm wondering, you know, how how was that process like? Like, did you feel you had to choose between your passion and where you wanted to live? Yeah, I mean, um, leaving Canada on the day that I boarded the flight to Paris from Toronto, I was really sad. I was crying on all like, it was an eight hour flight and I was crying on the way um, because that's waving goodbye to all my friends. And um, at the time my family was still living in Vancouver. So um, the distance away from them uh, was, was huge. And, but throughout the way I made new friends and actually these friends are now my colleagues and uh, we share the same passion and we have similar taste in what we want to do so at this stage in our lives we decided to stay in singapore and in uh, the others are in the rest of asia 
so that we travel a lot on the weekends and on public holidays. And we would really make a point to see each other. And in, when you have a hub uh, flying out of Singapore, it's, it's really easy just to do a weekend hop to Bangkok, for example. And we would hang out from Friday night to Sunday night and then I'll fly back. And it's just two hour flight and then I'm ready to, to go into work on Mondays. So it was hard until I made some friends along the way. Then also because those friends decided to stay at where I am. So then um, I think we all, without having discussed with each other, we just decided that right now at this stage, we want to stay in Singapore, um, somewhere in China. And we uh, really take the opportunity to, to dig deeper into our roots because I'm Asian, but I never really uh, explored Asia until now. Uh, in my 30s. So that's one of the positive things that I get from living abroad. So when, you know, first moving to all these countries, like, for example, when you first moved to Europe, or when you first moved to China or Singapore, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Um, I would say that going to a new place where you don't know anybody, or speak the language, that is daunting so i remember when i first moved to france uh, i have to find an apartment and i have to register at the government municipality place where i'm living and they all uh, don't speak english and my french was limited so to get all that done <laughs> uh, was a challenge and then uh, moving to italy where their level of English was even lower than France and my Italian was almost non-existent and have to get my student card uh, it was a nightmare <laughs> and also of course like getting uh, off the, the wrong station and don't know where I was on the first day of school yeah I think it's I would say challenges but at the moment at the time that when it happened but in hindsight, those made my stories. I have a lot of stories to tell um, at dinner tables. Um, just a random day that I went in France and just with the luggage stolen, like that story would just, yeah, <laughs> no, really, <laughs> the whole uh, dinner table laugh. So, I mean, yeah, in hindsight, I am grateful for those stories. But of course, at the mo uh, when it happened at that moment, it was super difficult and I wanted to go home and just called up next to <laughs> my parents. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm wondering like, were there things that you wish that you knew kind of like back then or like any advice that you would give to your younger self or those who are aspiring to be where you are now um, going through all these transitions? I would say to my younger self that don't give up even though nobody understood what your dreams were. Uh, I remember going to like high school counselors and just tell the, the lady, like, I really want to make perfumes. And she looked at me and go, oh, yeah, you can work in the mall. Like, <laughs> she did not understand <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, what, what I was referring to because I chose uh, a career path that was less walked, I would say, less traveled. 
And uh, at the time in the small town, well, it wasn't a small town, it was in Vancouver, but yeah, the school council did not know, like, if you want to become a perfume or a work in a fragrance house, where, uh, what kind of education you should get. Like, nobody could understand, uh, can uh, answer me. And back then, Google was not a big thing. So it was pure research and just reading biographies of famous perfumers and, and just take note on where they have um, studied and where they have gone to and just uh, little by little, like, find my way up. Yeah, right now there's Google, so you can just do a keyword search and everything pops out. I think now people would arrive at where I wanted to go much faster than how I did it. But of course, now there are different new challenges. Uh, for example, now more and more people want to come into this industry because it's getting more and more um, well-known. Then, uh, because this uh, industry is quite small, so the intake is uh, limited. So there are different challenges for the newcomers, of course. But I would suggest to anyone who have a dream and just to go after it, and no matter what others tell you that it is impossible or it doesn't exist, because it does exist, you just have to find it. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, like, how difficult it is to enter this industry? Like, how competitive is it? And, you know, what are kind of the challenges that you have going into this industry? Um, so the master degree in France, they take uh, 20 students per year. And then uh, they have about 400 applicants uh, a year. So, uh, I mean, compared to like an MBA at Harvard, it's, it's different, of, of course. But for mine, I have to go through a different set of interviews and exams. So there was a smelling test and there is uh, also an oral test. You have to give a testimony of why you want to enter, enter this industry and your story have to shine brighter than other people's. And everyone who found a way to this industry, they all have a special story to tell. So um, that was a difficult part to impress the interviewers and, and to, to take the test. And could I also ask, as someone who went through multiple sort of cross-culture experiences, what do you think are your strengths or assets that you can bring in the industry as a professional, let's say when you're working with your clients in Asia or elsewhere, how do you see yourself bringing that knowledge into what you do? I would say there are two parts. One is the technicality. So being an engineer by training, I can mm -hmm. understand everything that the customer is saying to me because sometimes they like to use big words, especially from the R&D. They want to sound superior and sound they're more knowledgeable. But uh, when they do that, I actually can counter with big words because I have studied all of them. <laughs> and, uh, and then they would uh, give me respect. So in Asia, respect is a big thing. When they, when they have your trust, you can do business with them. So um, that's where I see my advantage of being an engineer by training, but now enter the fragrance industry, how that benefits me. Um, in terms of my cross-cultural experiences, I would say that in all the places I lived in, I, I truly pick up their essence. 
So, for example, I understood how French people think. So, with that new show,、uh, Emily in Paris on Netflix, <laughs>、uh, there were many things that I thought that was wrong because I lived there and I fully experienced what is it to work with French people. And、uh, I would say that that helped me to those little experiences along the way helped me to understand each culture better. So then, now living in Singapore, where it's just a big melting pot of different nationalities, I was able to use this experience to be able to have an open and honest communication with each one of them. So I know how to work with my Chinese colleagues because they are more they are direct but implicit. So whereas the the Westerners they are direct and explicit. So in a way, they they are all very direct, and they all want to say what they want, but there is a different way of saying it. And I was able to dig deeper and understanding what they mean by that, and and it really makes the communication at work much more、uh, efficient and smoother. Well, that's very interesting. I I've never thought about how someone could be direct. And implicit versus direct and explicit. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Do you have any examples off the top、um, of your head? I think,、uh, for example, when I work with my Chinese clients, when you ask them, "Do they like it or not?" they they will they will show you what they they don't like it. But through their gestures and their words,、um, they try to sound polite. But you can. Guess what they're saying. So,、uh, for example, like when you work with the Dutch. So I worked in Netherlands before.、Uh, when they don't like it, they just say no. I don't like it. So I, I at first when I heard that, I was a bit shocked. Like, oh, how can you be so impolite? But actually, they are very polite because they don't want to waste your time. So they they tell you that they don't like it, and so you can you can go back and 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 come back with a better idea. But in Chinese culture, they are more implicit, and but they still want the best result because they still want to have the best fragrances to buy from us. So they will, for example, they 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 will say they have different ways of saying it, but I think it's more on a gesture. Like they wouldn't look at you, and they would change the topic, or they will say,、uh, "Let's think about it." Then you know, like, yeah,、uh, you don't like it, so. So, because I could、uh, decode this, so I will ask them right away, like, "Oh, so you don't like it?、Um, tell me what's wrong with it." So they they actually appreciate that because they want to tell you that they don't like it, but they are they want to be polite also. So when you give them that bridge, like, "I know what you're thinking. You don't like it. Just tell me what's wrong with it." They actually take that and then they they. And then they use that opportunity to tell you,、uh, "Oh yeah, I actually prefer something more fresh and more light." And then, and then you're like, "Okay, sure, I, I, I go back and I come back with a with a better idea next time." So,、uh, whereas if maybe、uh, you have a I don't know Westerner seeing a Chinese customer without knowing the culture prior,、uh, when they say, "Oh, I'll think about it," they actually go home and go. Yeah, they will think about it, <laughs> but they will never call you back. <laughs> it's it's amazing that I mean, yeah, you need to be able to, I guess, pick up those 
subtle signs and then it's amazing how you turn that around and open the conversation rather than closing yeah. it right like you actually use that to hear more so that's that's really amazing yeah that's definitely useful <laughs> in business and so thinking about all the challenges and the transitions you've gone through how do you feel about where you're uh, at now really truly grateful uh, about where I'm now this is exactly where I want to be to the 18 year old myself that I get to actually create fragrances every day and to smell them I actually when I tell people I smell for a living <laughs> um, mm, that's yeah, amazing, it's, yeah it's unbelievable for for a lot of people but yeah I, I go into work I smell and I choose the the best one and I send it to my clients so that's basically what I do every day and I really enjoy that and I really on the smelling part at least like I don't really count it as working so um, even at my off time I would go into the malls and I would smell the latest launches and some people would consider like oh why are you working on the weekends but for me it's like no this is not work <laughs> uh, working is more like dealing with the politics at work and to write a professional email then that's more work for me but for the smelling part at least it's not that's really cool I mean because you work for something that you love how do you balance like self-care or you know time to do what you want to do uh for you know a sustainable career yeah uh, that's a good point because I actually have one of my passion that became a job <laughs> yeah so it, it it does it does take some self-discipline like I have to tell myself like okay you know um, because sometimes at the end of the day that's when I um, go into our bank we we call it the bank and uh, that's where all the fragrances are and with the latest launches also that if we procure off the market we'll put it there and just to for people to inspire from and I love to smell and just to go there at uh, maybe around 4 p.m and we finish work around 5 36 but sometimes when I realize the time it's like 6 37 so yeah that was me in the beginning so uh, later on I had to tell myself like okay time to go <laughs> but I, I really truly don't see it as working it's when I smell like all kinds of fireworks goes off in my in my brain so it's actually feels really good so it's it's more that than to tell myself like okay it's time to go um, try to focus on something else so then later on in my professional life I developed uh, another hobby so that so then I still have a hobby because my previous hobby became a job that's really really cool um could you let us know what your new hobby is if you don't mind or... oh yeah um I design uh chi pao or chong sams Oh, maybe I need next Chinese uh, traditional dresses. Oh wow! Yeah. Wait, you design it, so you actually like draw yeah, it so out. So what on I do is um, I partner with this tailor. Uh, she is in Beijing, so I met her when I was working in China before, and um, she has all all my measurements. So uh, when I go traveling, so for example in Indonesia, uh, there the fabric that. Um, it's their traditional fabric, it's called batik. 
So uh, when I spot a batik that I like, I I would buy the piece of fabric and I send it to the tailor in Beijing, and I tell her like how to position the floral prints, and uh, she turns it into a, a, a dress, a chipao or chongsam, um, depending on how you call it, and she sent it back to me. So now that's my next passion slash hobby that I look for fabric. And I discuss with my tailor, and then I I turn them into dresses. Do you wear them? Yeah. Nice. Oh, well, you should take you know like a OOTD <laughs> outfit of the day. <laughs> I guess we kind of touched on this already, but um, do you have any sort of final advice or? Um, Tips for anyone who's going into a similar field or anyone going into a very niche industry. I think those with a dream would know that what they're looking for, and if you keep just searching that little light at the end of the tunnel, you arrive at what you're looking for. So I started with just an interest to smell, then it became, and then I went to the school, and then I learned that oh, actually it is a A big industry behind it, and how do I enter this this industry? Then I look for for jobs in this industry and slowly work my way up. So, yeah, just enjoy every step of the journey and just stay true to your your calling. I, I think that's the most important. That's really beautiful, and thank you so much for the encouraging words for our listeners. Thank you so much, Ivy, for sharing your journey of getting into the very specialized field of cosmetics and perfumery. That was Ivy Wang, fine fragrances developer at Jivadan Asia Pacific headquarters. Stay tuned for our next episodes, where we'll have more stories of interesting and unconventional careers transitions. Thank you for tuning into Culture Crossings. This was Asuka and Phoebe. To connect with us, visit our website at www.2020culturecrossings.wordpress.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.